Wakey, wakey, you fat fuck. <laughs> Movie Marathon <laughs> is back. And we're continuing with John Woo. It's hard target. And it's been a yeah, hard, man. hard month for us to get back together to record. Wow, yeah, you really came in hot. I'm sorry. I did I was not ready for that one. <laughs> I was rewatching yesterday and I was like, wakey, wakey, you fat fuck. That's perfect. <laughs> I uh thank you, Arnold Vosloo, for the perfect intro for this podcast. <laughs> um which uh I was what, laughing. A, what a great early 90s movie line. <laughs> Well, I was laughing because, uh, of course, uh, I'm I'm assuming John Woo named him after uh, his nickname. His name is, I think, it's Pick Van Cleef. So I'm it assuming is. he's just named after Lee Van Cleef. That's like, my it's, it's, the writer. It's, it's, it's very much a, or yeah, it's, it's, it's just a Western ripoff. Yeah, but I love it. I'm here for it because this movie. <laughs> I tell you, I was watching the trailer for this last night, and I was getting pretty pumped up again about it because, um, I. It's been a month since we've watched this, and so I've not, if not, I've not watched it like fresh. But but watching the trailer, it's funny. Like the trailer made it was actually a little deceiving. I was like, I forgot how awesome the movie was, and I was like, in 1993, when I'm 10, I was like, I would be fucking pumped to watch this. And guess what? When I was 40, I was fucking pumped to watch it again because of the trailer they put together for this movie. It was awesome. It's pretty awesome, and it's the perfect mix of actually being awesome and <laughs> completely like dated um, things that are like, wow, this feels like feels like the Red Shoe Diaries is is happening or something. It's a USA uh, special. Yeah, yeah, and then the mix of it's John Woo's first uh, American film, and so he's still bringing in some of his like style. He hasn't fully adapted to. American filmmaking, so he's still doing some things that are more accustomed, that, like a Hong Kong audience would be more accustomed to. Uh, so it's got so many weird things happening and so many awesome things happening. Uh, yeah, it's 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 fantastic. I love it. It's I w- go ahead, go ahead. It's uh, I, I kind of was going and watching it. It's been a little bit, and I was like, oh, this is like it's good, but you know, there's some real fun. and like watching it this time. I was like, man, this is like just good. Like this way to go, guys. Uh, I think they nailed it. I, I, we were talking about this. So I think before, I think this actually might be my favorite U.S. John Woo movie. I think, um, I mean, oh, Face wow. Off, Face Off will have a special, always have a special place. This yeah. feels like the most right over the line pitch for what he was doing in the '80s that made him pretty noteworthy out of Hong Kong, and it it's right up the abilities alley of, of Van Damme. <laughs> and uh they you know Hendrix Hendrickson plays a pretty good villain in this and uh the action still has a lot of carryover from like hard boiled like he uses some of the same stunts and he uses some of the same uh kind of shots so I, I I feel like this is the even though it's early for him it's probably the perfect blend of what he was doing right with Hong Kong action movies uh and you know around this time as we yeah, talked it's a really about interesting uh, trajectory because we did a uh... Yeah, we did Broken, Broken Arrow, Arrow. <laughs> and uh, and that one you can see him ad- adapting more um, to U.S. filmmaking techniques. This, this is like different countries that have a, a real pure filmmaking of their own. They develop kind of a different grammar of that an audience is accustomed to and what filmmakers do. And you can see in this one, he's still very much using kind of what he learned and what he did in Hong Kong. 
and Broken Arrow, he starts separating from that um, a good bit and maybe taking, oh, this is what like American audiences are kind of expecting and want. And then face off, he's like fully like, <laughs> oh, I, I have all the powers. I can do all of these things <laughs> and do them all crazy. <laughs> I think that's the, the regret I have about his later stuff is he there's too much going into the plot and the script to try and make it this big story. And I think this is, I mean, this is kind of like got some big crazy ideas in it too, but uh, this at least feels a little more grounded. It's not got people swapping faces. It's not got, uh, you know, uh, people stealing nuclear weapons. It's a little bit yeah, more just, got, just, just people like, hunting each other. Yeah. Cop, it's kind of cops and robbers type stuff. I'm like, that's, I think that's a, safe Stand. zone for him to hang out <laughs> story as old as time man hunting man yeah uh they actually said that this was the original plot for heat but then uh michael mann took the script back so <laughs> um yeah I, I i we haven't really there's definitely an element of this i need i wish i'd gone back actually and watched surviving the game to see which hunting humans <laughs> oh, movie yeah, from the early 90s was, was a better yeah year. I'm who would you rather one be? Is. <laughs> who would you rather be hunted by? Uh, um, no. Lance Henderson or Gary Busey? <laughs> I think that's the question. <laughs> so no shade to surviving the game, but this was really good. So I've, I'd have a hard time imagining surviving the game is better. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's no Prince Henry Stout monologue by anybody in this with about their about them having to murder their dog when they're a child. <laughs> so I do think on 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 dialogue. Uh, you may have the edge and survive the game. Yeah. Mm, all right. I'm mm. <laughs> really mm. making a note now to watch Surviving. Should we just do Surviving the Game next? Yeah, we we could just do Stream of Consciousness with this. Just like, hey, we're talking about we're gonna we're gonna talk about that next. Game on. And then Rucker right, so, Howard's in that, so we can do Blade Runner after. <laughs> <laughs> wow, really taking a turn. Uh, yeah, thinking quality on that. Sorry. One. <laughs> uh, so what? Uh, what was your experience with this with this movie? Is it something you saw a lot when you were younger? Or? Um, I don't remember the first time I saw it, but it was I was ten when it came out in theaters. So I want to feel I want I want to say this is probably a, a blockbuster rental. Um, and then it was just I remember it being on like USA all the time, just all the time. And then we were in college, right before we, right before we went to college. Uh, our buddy Jay had never seen this, and he came over to my house and we watched it. And I think it. <laughs> like blew his mind in both a good and bad way of like like this is cool there's a lot of talk about wilford brimley being in an action movie <laughs> yeah. but i think it was it was overall yeah, i think, I think he, he enjoyed it yeah we I, my when i watched the trailer last night my wife was in bed with next to me and she's like oh i remember this this is the one with wilford brimley riding a horse and I'm like yeah that's that's the one she's like she's like and i think she didn't call him Wilford Brimley, I think she called him. She goes, "Oh, that's the one where diabetes is riding a horse, right?" <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the one. <laughs> so, so I, I think I think anybody who see, I've seen this with, my association up to this point has been like, there's something fun and crazy to talk about in this movie. How about you? Uh, yeah, this movie is filled with fun, crazy stuff. Uh, so, in the this kind of existed for a time. This movie like always existed to me because I, I kind of don't really remember it coming out because, like you said, when we were kind of 10 or so, so it's probably more like 12, 13, I'm getting an awareness of all these movies. And it's just like, oh, there's like all these John claude Van Damme movies. You know, there's one where it's like 
like man men are hunt for sport in new orleans and it's like what that sounds awesome with john claude van damme and so it was it kind of just like always existed as this cool concept and then like you talk this is on cable all the time so watching this now it, it's a mixture of and like and you can kind of see of like all the action scenes feel extremely familiar like i've seen them like two dozen times <laughs> but the some of the things in between that it's like oh like that's where i watched this on cable and like if it was an action scene i stuck around and watched the whole thing and then it went to commercial and i probably changed the channel and then switched back uh saw what was going on if it was action kept watching if not like switched to like like so like there's like stretches where it's like oh i only this is like vaguely familiar um so i can't say for sure i saw this whole thing start to finish until uh probably five or six years ago i did a big kind of van damme kick where i was watching no kind of this intended. era of van damme yeah <laughs> good point uh good <laughs> catch yeah i i i think this this was actually going back to watching it again this was definitely better than i i re remembered um now granted to your point there's probably a nostalgia factor and it i but i i like again the it's catching Wu at a good time. It's catching Van Dam. This is kind of catching him right before he starts to, you know, put out some bad movies. I think like two years after this, he's doing Sudden Death, and that was kind of like the last big movie he did. But yeah, I, 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 yeah. I it's, it, it's when it fell off, it fell off hard for Van Dam. Yeah, we're you know three years after this, we're 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 hanging out with Dennis Rodman in, in Belgium making yeah. uh what double double team. <laughs> so, <laughs> It's not uh, doesn't look good after this for Van Dam, but I do think this catch catches a lot of people at the right moment, and um, it's a lot of fun. And again, I think it it's throwing uh, pitches at Van Dam that he can hit pretty comfortably for the most part, and it's a lot more focused on his his physical prowess than it is his acting prowess, which is probably where his strengths lie is 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 the the physical and uh, <laughs> um. I thought the pacing in this was actually pretty good. I know to your point, it, there's moments where it's a little slow with trying to move the plot along, but it overall, it's like they, they, they really move with this pretty well. And uh, props to them. It's not a, I don't, I don't think it was at least it's not, you know, two and a half hour action movie. It's, it's a fair, I don't know. It felt like it was a fairly tight movie to me. And yeah, it supposedly the off first well. cut, uh, the first cut Wu camp, it is like 20 minutes longer. And I don't know, I don't know where you'd add it. <laughs> this is all IMDb trivia, so I don't take it with a grain of salt. But so it's all accurate. Um, and but a lot of it was um, the villain, the oh okay, uh, Van Henderson, Fuchan, and Van Cleef. More with them, and I guess um, supposedly Van Dam went with like and Van Dam was kind of known for this at the time a little bit of going in with his editor and like re-editing um, things and kind of took it back to being a Van Damme movie, but watching it, you could see for John Woo as a director being like, the interesting thing that's happening here is the Don't. relationship between Fuchan and Van Cleef. Like they're the best characters. They're the most interesting. I want to see the, like who they are, what their world is. And so like they are the most compelling thing happening um, in this movie. So like I could see as a storyteller, why you'd be drawn to doing more of them. Cause that's, Watching it, that's what makes it is so good. Is like so many uh, when you get to like the middle of it, 
in between like the action set pieces, it's really like the best stuff is like the villain mustache twirling crazy performances like that they're given um, that really elevated it. It's like scene after scene of them doing something like villainous in like a really creative, interesting way that uh, <laughs> Vince Henderson playing piano. <laughs> I was gonna ask you, do you like it that you're that the villain here is can can play the piano? He's oh, I love it. He's I a high it. he's a high a, high status guy. Shades of uh, Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> the whole ending of that revolves around a fucking piano too. I forgot about that. I I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for it. <clears throat> Having your villain playing the piano. Adding a touch of class. Who, who did it better, Michael Bolton or Lance Hendrickson, in terms of just doing like music video style uh, piano <laughs> interludes? Uh, Lance Hendrickson, all the way. I I tend to agree. I like the idea that he's the villain, and then he he has people show up to his house, and they have to sit there while he finishes his mini concert before they can <laughs> actually have a conversation about hunting people. It's like that's definitely am- uh, throwing throwing out your your throwing your weight around. I have so many questions. <clears throat> I desperately so they, there's a sequel to this they made not too long ago that I think is on Netflix. I don't think is that supposed to be that great. I think it's like Scott Adkins. But what this movie desperately needs is a prequel of of Lance Henriksen's character and Van Cleef and uh, <laughs> of all, how all, all those rich how guys. They, how this how this all started like. <laughs> Because I was watching, I was like, so who's the first one who, like, broaches the topic of, like, what if we start a business where we let rich people hunt homeless people for sport? (laughs) Like, who's the first one who throws that idea out there (laughs) to see as a... We're we're already doing it for free. Maybe we should get paid for what we're good at. Um, Is this this something that just, like, organically happens? Does a rich guy come to them the first time to set this up for him, or... I put my money on Van Cleef. He he seems like there's a real weird darkness yeah. to him. Uh, and he seems to really, really enjoy uh, torturing people. Cuts that guy's ear off. Seems to really have a good time with that. So oh, I think... Basla. What a great performance. <laughs> uh, uh, not long after this, he becomes Darkman. He becomes... And then he becomes the mummy. So uh, that's probably so, what people know him from. So confession for... Uh, probably... 15 years of my life i just thought he was billy zane <laughs> he does have like a real billy zane kind of look when billy zane went bald and shaved his head they do yeah a lot of like like he could be from a distance a billy zane stuntman for sure and i think like something like this i i hadn't seen enough like i there was a gap in time of like seeing certain things um where I was like, wait a minute, that's not Billy Zane. <laughs> All right, I, I have a whole thing I got to go through now and figure out. <laughs> I would actually, I think I'd rather hang out screwed up. with uh, Vosloo than, than Billy Zane. I uh, <laughs> I was showing my kids that scene from Zoolander last night where it's the walk-off and Billy Zane's there. And Billy Zane seems kind of like a jerk. And I think Vosloo seems like he's a pretty good, pretty guy, pretty fun guy to hang out with. Be a good hang. Probably so. I was uh, just looking at man, Vosloo's sixty two. It's crazy to think how this movie's all you know. Also, thirty years Santa's old. This movie's thirty years old. Just, yeah, it just blows my mind. Thirty two at the time. Just blows my mind to think about that. But um, but yeah, I I I I would like to have seen a prequel too. I, I think you're right. The the villains in this are the most interesting piece, and how they're moving and 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 getting into different 
uh, cities and then how they're beginning these hunts. Um, you're right. I, I think it, the first probably 30 minutes of this movie are almost entirely focused on setting up the, the plot of this, showing how bad these guys are, and then letting the audience see what what, what links these guys are going to 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 uh, cover it up with they're bribing the the um, well they've got the guy who's supposed to recruit homeless people, then they have the bribes they're paying to the um, corner to cover it corner, up. Yeah. Ooh, that was <laughs> the, the uh, corner is a real creepy guy too. Sheriff and <laughs> uh, performance and I enjoy. Sheriff and Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. That's um, okay. Okay, that's probably the only other yeah, thing I think was... I've seen that I could place him. But yeah, that's why he was like, okay, there was a familiar vibe to him, um, and I couldn't quite place it. But okay. And then uh, we also got Ted Raimi in this. I forgot that. Uh, it a bizarre uh, cameo with a <laughs> hamming it up with a Cajun accent. I, well, yeah, I, I apparently um, since this is Wu's first movie, I think they attached um, Sam Raimi to help sort of yes. shadow direct this a little bit. The, just the studio, he's a producer. Yeah. The studio is really concerned because Wu's English wasn't that good, and they basically hired Sam Raimi to be in the wings to take over um if like Wu couldn't do it but it's from the stories like i i read it sounds like like rami was pretty cool about that like he just kind of showed up and was more like oh i just want to like see how you work what you're doing what's going on and like Wu didn't even realize for a long time that's what was that's, happening that's what was happening and it was really <clears throat> appreciative of like this guy was never never get like came in with that like oh i could take this over if i if I give like a bad report on what's happening like it was just like a really cool supportive um kind of friend during the process yeah i wasn't interested in taking over it was more just supportive of that. That was, yeah, it was cool i thought i thought so too and i i was it was pleasant to see it's also kind of depressing like how crappy <laughs> the industry can be about that stuff like hey we're gonna really um give you this well, this chance but just so you know there's a you know we're going to basically cover our asses in case anything happens and plant already pl- pre-planned a jettison you if, if this doesn't quite work yeah out. my yeah my question was a little bit um because there's like oh there's got some bad like racist vibes there I'm like did they do this to like european directors who came over um who were white but like maybe also english wasn't their first language and things like i don't like there's plenty of your action movies directed by European directors around this time who kind of made the jump to America. Um, uh, I, this, I, don't, yeah. I, don't, yeah, I don't really ever rec- recall hearing um, much like that. Cause at this time, like John Woo is like arguably the greatest action director on the planet. Like you're not getting, like you're not getting anyone better. Like, why would you like, I get if you want to bring someone in to work with actors a little bit or like translate a little bit just just to help um his transition to keep things on track um that but like that's something you like talk about with him and be upfront about not like secretly uh hiring someone to like spy on him it's that's fair I, I, you're right i forgot about european because the next year after this comes out luke Besson does the professional which is ostensibly a remake of a movie he'd already made uh in europe uh but um or, or no, it's not. I'm sorry. That was La Femme Nikita. My bad. Um, but yeah, mm. uh, he do, that's I think that's his entrance into the U.S. 
uh, as a as a director. So I don't know. You're right. I'd be curious to see like like how how that was handled. Um, not surprisingly, not handled well, obviously <laughs> in this, but obviously Wu proves it because what uh, when we did Broken Arrow, that's his next American movie. That's yeah, a year or two after after this, I think. Um, yeah, I think I think two years. And then Face Off is five, and Face Off is ninety seven. Or is it ninety six, ninety seven for those? Um, Something like that. I, I again, I go back to. I think Wu's trajectory was. I don't think the uh, scripts that he he were he was filming as he got later. Well, one, I think action movies were beginning to wane, but two, I think some of the scripts were just. He was starting to go in a different direction than maybe where his core core talents were, at least in my perspective. Yeah, well, I'll say too. I mean. You know, like face off, that's a big high concept. That's like a big was a big deal to probably to probably get. Um, but then like he definitely probably has like the worst Mission Impossible script. Uh, yes. Um <laughs> Yes. He he he, he uh, to his credit, like I think you know it's funny. Um this is gonna I'm gonna really date myself. Uh my son was going through he we were talking about music last night we we're watching music like old 80s and 90s music videos on youtube and uh i was like yeah i've got a bunch of these albums that are out and like we were watching like an outcast video like hey or something like that he's like i was like yeah i've got this cd he's like you do he's like can i see it and i'm like sure and i went out and uh sure enough mission impossible 2 soundtrack in my cd suite <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so it's like I was like, God, I'm glad he's not old enough to understand how lame some of this actually is. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So, but yeah, that, actually, that to the point true. of his scripts, shortly after this, he also, after um, Face Off, he does Paycheck, which is a Philip K. Dick adaptation and possibly the worst script for a Philip K. Dick adaptation. Yeah. And stuff. So, like, the, like, the choice, it's like, oh, yeah, like, doing a Mission Impossible movie, awesome. Like, cool. It's like, oh, but you kind of get not the greatest one. And then, like, oh, Taking on a Philip K. Dick adaptation. Oh, but you got kind of a crappy one of uh, uh of, of a of a prolific and important sci-fi writer, you get you get probably the word, yeah. I, the I, one I that they didn't adapt it. Uh, and and it's Ben Affleck kind of right right after what Google Hunting and all that. He's he's starting to get to a weird, <laughs> weird professional. I don't know. I, I I remember watching that and just thinking like it didn't feel like a John Woo movie to me. I think that was my my takeaway. Yeah, he starts swinging into a little bit of just doing American movies for hire. It'd be interesting. I, I got to look up if he's, if, uh, some interviews with him talking about that time of maybe where he, where he was at. Because you can see him kind of changing and growing and getting away from some of like the Hong Kong style he had. But I'm curious if he also was like, oh, I'm getting paid a ton of money to do this. I'm going to do it kind of the way the American audiences want it. Um, but if he kind of lost a little bit, um, he, he must have. I'm looking at his. IMDb. And then he goes back to back to China and does a whole bunch. I think that's that's what I must be seeing because it, it, from basically 2003 onward, it looks like he his more there his, that I mean some of the stuff I've seen from that time gets a little more back to a. Although I don't know, Mission Impossible has all the um, has all of his tropes. So I don't know. It's still John. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's still getting a kind of John Woo styles. So I don't know. I'm, maybe just making shit up well it's just weird it's your point in in, two, in 2000 he does mission impossible 2 and then he jumps to wind talkers with nicholas cage he and nicholas cage try to do more of a it's an action movie but it's also supposed to be more of a dramatic movie too uh about the uh 
co-translators, Native American co-translators in World War II. So I don't know. It, it does feel like maybe he's getting a little tired of the genre he was in and, and wanted to do something different. And uh, maybe. Yeah, because he gave maybe some that like historical epics and stuff and he goes back to China. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe he was he was oh, man. interested in just taking a break from uh, murdering people in every movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at uh, Ben Affleck's career at the, around this time when he did Paycheck with Wu. Same year as Daredevil and Geely. So you're really... Woo! He's swinging. And the next year is Jersey Girl. You're really hitting where like, the Ben Affleck dip in the career of where he's getting to be more of a punchline. Yeah, that's a... Before, uh, uh, that's him, and that's like the early days of the J Lo thing, too, right? Before, yeah, and then he, probably he has like that, like man, it's close to like a seven year dip, probably, where he's not. And then he comes back with the town Argo and like Gone Girl, and has like the big comeback. Um, but yeah, that's definitely in the. He's uh on the downturn. I think mean, like perception audience wise, where he's more of a. Um, late night talk show punchline. Uh, yeah, yeah so that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of bad luck to uh, you hit the star at that point in their career. Um, yeah, uh, good old good old Affleck. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so for this, so this was also catching. Um, you know, st- I would say still ascending Van Dam in '93 because he had done. I think at this point he had done. Um, obviously, Bloodsport. And to your point on the editors, uh, editor aspects of it, I think Van Dam. We talked about this, I believe. Van Dam was in the editing room for Bloodsport, which was sort of the movie that launched him. And I think it was because Canon was going through bankruptcy, or they they were having problems, and so effectively, uh, uh, Van Dam and his editor, I think, were helping cut together all the fight sequences. Um, so I'm not surprised to see him messing around with it. I do think this is 97 minutes. This is the right, the right length, but oh yeah. You know, Van Damme's star stole. I think he's 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 like to me the leading edge of the the next wave of action stars at this point in time. Yeah. I, he's I, he's at a point where it's like, how high can he go? Because yeah. the year before is Universal Soldier, then it's hard target. And then the next it's like, all right, man, hard target, a hit. Then it, next year is Time Cop and Street Fighter. Which he, so he he's front and center. That's on both probably of those. the yeah. Zenith. That's probably him at his his peak of drug abuse and power, uh, <laughs> power in Hollywood. And then he does the quest. Oh god, that's right. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, yeah, I I, I think that Van Damme's I, this again. This to me is like a right over the plate uh movie for Van Damme. Um, it it. it doesn't require a ton of acting and it, it it is a plausible excuse for a crazy ass accent um um <laughs> yeah you know, they're, they're trying to ground the movie that at least that makes that makes some sense yeah and it's it's reminiscent of <clears throat> how they would try to use like early arnold and things of it's like all right we know what this guy can do and we know we're not going to ask him to do anything he can't do. So everything is basically built around action. And then any dialogue is requires extremely little emotion of (laughs) extremely little emotional range uh, because he doesn't 
have like that deep a connection to any of these people who are dying. So like, you're not expecting him to be like crying, overcome with grief and that, but he's like, okay, I'm angry. Cause like wrong things are happening. So it's just like, it's like, just like kind of smolder angrily <laughs> like while you're doing these <laughs> things. It's like, okay. Like he can, <laughs> he can do that. Uh, but I love his, uh, it's good. This has a great classic introduction of, uh, 80s at the restaurant a lot of his extreme close-ups on him and then uh and then you get like the woman being harassed damsel in distress where he like walks out in the street a group of like six seven i don't know ten guys or something and he's just so nonchalantly cocky as hell of if it comes down to it i will kick everyone's ass here <laughs> and and then he does and well, it's like, all right i think like, i know exactly what we're in for here that was the that's my favorite trope is like all of these guys are like uh waiting to just pick off a victim in this diner. <laughs> yeah, right. like, this diner people are getting coffee for like 50 cents. Like Yeah, that was that was what shook me the most was I think he paid for a meal and it was 75 cents. And I'm like, wow, that's uh that's 30 years of inflation for you. <laughs> right yeah. Jesus. But you had a great note of like, what, what did the city of New Orleans think about this in uh in the early '90s? Or basically, they're portrayed as like a real '90s old West town. <laughs> like it's just a free for all and like scattered. There's like massive homeless villages. Like yeah, it, no it, it, law enforcement. I, I've never been to New Orleans. I don't think it's a bad city at all. But it's what, not been to New Orleans. No, I didn't go with you guys. God damn it, that's right. I was the only one who didn't go, but uh, for for other people who are listening, uh, also about 20 years ago, I think it was <laughs> you what? You go on our tour of Hard Target filming locations. Was, hard Target, and I think you guys said you watched a horse piss for like five minutes straight. Oh, we sure did. <laughs> it's cop horse. <laughs> that was the thing I remember you guys talking about the most was just like the horse and then the guy who said he was a vampire. And <laughs> oh, yeah, was... yep. met a vampire. <laughs> I uh, I wish that guy was in the movie. I wish you like spotted him all of a sudden in like Hard Target, where there's just like, "Hey, it's a vampire guy. He's <laughs> he's one of the hunters, or he's uh he's one of the people on Bourbon Street in this." <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you know, you and I were in Asheville and with William uh like three or four months ago, and, and that was like my takeaway was a lot of homeless people. We watched two homeless people almost beat each other to death uh, on the street. That was uh that was a weird part of the trip. I and I. I'm I'm pretty sure if you're part of like the you know the the city or maybe you're on you know the the chamber of commerce that's not how you want to portray your city is <laughs> like hey if you want to hunt homeless people because there's a lot of them come to New Orleans <laughs> yes we have so many homeless people they opened a business to hunt them for sport and no one noticed for a really long time because our police department's so bad yeah. <laughs> and they're on and they're they're protesting, uh, being poorly paid. That's mu- that must we also be have my, roving my... gangs of people beating up, di- mugging and beating up diners for, for yeah, beating people up for a hundred dollars. That must be where I said OCP runs the New Orleans police because uh, okay. they're all on strike, and that's that's like the plot line mm. of basically two of the three RoboCop movies is all the police wanting to to um strike because they're underpaid and and, and uh, a lot of them are getting blown away on the streets so I, i'm guessing 
that's why I said OCP owns the New Orleans Police Department. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad I could tie that together. It was really bugging me because I, I was like, I it, it does it it didn't make any sense in my head, but now I get it. So <laughs> I'm glad I could all that. All it's all coming together. Well, and so we didn't talk about it too much, but the opening of this is uh, um, a homeless veteran who's actually a guy named Chuck Farr, who's the writer of the movie. Um, yeah. He's a former Navy SEAL. Um, uh, I read his book a bunch of times just because he was an interesting guy. But uh, that's that's the premise for the whole movie: is a, a homeless guy who's a veteran is being hunted by Van Cleef and uh, Fushan. Is that that's Hendrickson's name? Yeah, I think so. I think and that's how you uh, say it, close enough. Uh, uh, he is brutally murdered. Uh, he the, the the premise is they'll give him a money belt and he can keep it. it's like ten thousand dollars in cash in a fanny pack and he can keep it. It basically if he can traverse a, a good portion of the the French Quarter of of New Orleans. Yeah, so like he's gonna get across this like bridge or across this river, and if he does, like they're like you're free, like his money's yours. My question was. There's no way they're gonna kill him. Oh yeah, either way, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna ask you too. Like, like, they're not beholden to the, this verbal contract they've made with a man they're hunting for sport. Uh, like, I would, I would love to see. I'd like, love to know. To your point, there's, there's no way they're letting him like live and get away, right? Like, it's it is kind of like uh, kids like um, hide and seek rules, like. Okay, if you get away and you get to base, you're safe. So I can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I don't. Really but in the beginning, Lance Henriksen is treating it like, like, nope, this is legally binding. He gets across <laughs> the river. Like nothing we can do about it. <laughs> it's like, I think that's. I think they're trying to land how much of a how much the sporting aspect of it is what's important to Hendrickson. I will yeah. say it doesn't ever really get there because. They go to such lengths to cover up all the murders that they're basically <laughs> being paid for that I'm like, yeah, I kind of feel like if he crosses the bridge, you're probably still getting shot in the head. Like, I don't think this yeah, is going right. to pan out for you. The only thing I could buy is um, because they've like bribed big people in New Orleans is like you get across the river and you're in a different jurisdiction and they're like, we don't want to deal with a dead bot. Like it's a big deal to them. Like they're like hyping up the sporting aspect to the guy, like they're selling this to. But for them, it's like, no, we don't want to deal with a dead body in that jurisdiction because we haven't bribed people over there, and that's going to be like, it's going to be like a big headache for us if too much of a hassle. <laughs> like, so yeah, if like someone else is starting to look at this, uh, I, I I agree, and I I think you're right. Is there's there's no chance. I would love to to know if there's ever been anybody who sur- actually sur- survived the game right. that uh, that um, that uh, Fushan has put together. Yeah. Also, I also want to know the backstory of these these guys that uh, he brings on the hunts. All the people who are actually paying to do this because one guy kind of pushes out in the middle of the movie, and they actually end up and then he ends up getting killed by uh, Bender, the the guy who the guy who's the genesis for this whole movie his friend and then all the other guys at the end are just like i don't know they seem like they're a high dollar like very rich masochist yeah yep. okay okay we, we are back my mic cut out but yeah i want to know more about these high status uh 
guys who were hunting everybody at the end of the movie because <laughs> there's a couple of them who I love their look. They look like exactly like the type of rich douchebags who have so much money and have spent it doing like every experience they can, who would be like the target audience for this, uh, for the, for this type of thing. Well, and so one of them was uh, Schwarzenegger's go-to stand-in. It's a guy named uh, Sven uh, Thornson or Thorson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, He's the guy in the crazy red, red, white, and black um, uh, shirt that I think even Van Damme comments on how ugly his attire is. <laughs> yeah, he, he he really fits the vibe of this. I do believe there's people out there who are like, who would do this and are massive douches, especially, in, I feel like this today, yeah. in 2023, I feel like there's still a chance there's somebody who's doing something like this. Oh, 100%. I would, like, if a news story broke, I'd be like, yeah, I wouldn't feel like that sounds completely believable. Now, if it was actually Lance Henderson running it, that would be surprising <laughs> to me, but... <laughs> that, that would be kind of surprising, yes. But... But yeah, so I, I that the whole the whole genesis of the movie it was based around this guy being uh, hunted and murdered, and his daughter coming to find him. I I also feel like Wu is trying to make a statement on early statement on looking after veterans and people who have you know served their country. But I, again, that also doesn't really ever land for me, other than just they've got military training, so that makes them a harder a harder target yeah. to hunt. And all of this. Yeah, like the message is there a little bit, but then it kind of gets lost in like the <laughs> the craziness of the movie by the end. Yeah, I uh, but uh, the the fight that, that you mentioned in the diner at the beginning uh, is our intro to to Van Dam saving the 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 lead in this um, Natasha, uh, who <laughs> is the daughter of Bender, who she's she's coming down to find him, um, not realizing he's been murdered. And that's sort of where the whole movie kicks off into this. Um, I guess it's a mystery. I don't like it. Well, I get it's a mystery for the characters. It's not a mystery for the audience, which is this is a uh, a sometimes uh, plot slowing uh, uh, problem. This this does have, which is the audience is just watching um, scenes so that it advances the movie for the characters, but it's not really advancing it for the audience. <laughs> But it does lead to some good fights of uh, Van Damme. The, the audience is uh, way ahead of them. Yeah. yeah. That, that was the so only the, thing that kind of bugged me. But yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, so I was going to say the, the Natasha is played by Yancey Butler, who, uh, well, <laughs> first I'll just give a shout out. She's in a bunch of the uh, like TV sequels for Lake Placid. <laughs> oh, really? I I did not look. Okay. I did not look up her. her it's just funny. That's a something we a movie we often joke about but uh it's a good movie uh, we often joke about also but uh watching this my heart always goes out to her as someone who can relate to this um as someone who also gets cold sores <laughs> i feel i can talk about this with the appropriate sensitivity that it requires she has a massive cold sore for like a significant chunk of the movie and like every time i'm like yeah because i know how awful that is to feel that coming on and like you have something big coming up and I can't imagine how awful that must feel of like, oh, fuck, I'm getting one and I'm filming a goddamn movie <laughs> like I'm like this is going to be forever. Like this is like 30 years from now, two jackasses are going to watch this movie and talking about how I have a cold sore. And I was like, I, my heart just like breaks. For it. it had to be such a shitty feeling. You're so excited for like this role and like a pretty big movie. Um, and it's like, oh, and now I have this like fucking cold sore to deal with and try to hide with makeup, but you can't really. 
in. I was always every time I'm like, that just fucking sucks. And it, and it was a it was a cold story. You think it wasn't um it wasn't supposed to be makeup for when she gets hit right early on in the in, in the beginning of the movie. I I I'm 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 going back to getting it's been a minute. Um, oh, you're doing oh, but that would be a great way to try to cover that up. Maybe that's why they maybe that's why they, they did that is um oh a hundred percent. it's a it's a cold sore. Maybe John Wu's a sufferer of cold sores. Maybe. And he's just like, we need to educate the people. <laughs> we need to normalize it. <laughs> okay. We'll just we'll just have this woman get punched in the face so that we can cover it up. Yeah. It's all too easy. I, I guess I was reading some stuff with her and uh, some interviews, and she was talking that it was a it was a bit of a role she struggled with because there's not a whole. She's basically just the damsel in distress the entire time. Yeah, and there's not there's just not a lot of like meat on that role. And I was I was like, yeah, I, I, it's <laughs> it's I, kind I, of a thank this role where like you really do nothing. You're well, just like a vehicle for showing John Claude Van Damme's a good guy. It, it is, and I mean that's that's kind of. How I mean, you think about like the reporter in Bloodsport. I'll go back to that. It's kind of the same thing. Like her, her, her entire focus is just to basically give exposition to the audience and, and help world build around Van Dam because he's not going to probably be able to do it himself. Um, she does. I was watching the the last again on on YouTube last night. I was watching the last fight and and she does kill one guy, but then she yeah. immediately yeah. seems horrified by what she's done. And then Brimley takes the gun out of her hand. He's just like, I can't remember what he says, but it's Everyone's like everyone's immediately like, mad at her for doing yeah. that thing. That, but yeah. like, it's like she put that. That was really helpful that she did that. Like, yeah, it was like it, it actually it actually saved them. And, and then Brimley's like, "You better like basically like you better leave the killing to me." Yeah, <laughs> Ooh, flawless Brimley uh, uh, accent. What was his? It's uh, Uncle Doovy. Uh, Uncle Doovy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it's, I think they call it. They definitely vacillate back and forth between what how they pronounce it in the movie, but uh, I can I, see why I, it's a batshit crazy spelling of a name. It's uh, it's like D O U V E E. I like right. it. I like it being duvet because it's the uh, thing that goes on a bed. I also like it being duvet, right. so <laughs> I'm well, good. Duvet way. feels like you can really hit like the Cajun accent hard at that but like that's like there's a thing called a duvet why would you make someone's name that that that's what i was uh that's what i was kind of wondering too is like it's just a weird name choice period <laughs> but uh <laughs> shout out to uncle duvet for uh or duvet here for uh, being willing to blow up his house at the drop of a hat when uh when I, van damme shows up i always go back to he's probably one of the most fun uh reveals in this that i just never i always forget about and i just remember when i was watching this i never expected like it's just no. wilford brimley was just a perpetually old looking guy and it, him popping up in this and then doing action is just such a fun wildly unsu- un- unexpected um uh thing and i'm looking at his um credit so he was born in 1934 so he's almost 60 when he's filming this and and he's pretty live like he's shooting people with arrows he's riding a horse he gets shot so in the same year he's playing uncle duvie he's playing this kind of old detective style character in the firm and he's good in that too. he's good in both but he's like very much like at the end of the firm he seems old and like kind of uh physically incapable because Tom Cruise jumps out of it like a pipe on the ceiling and just lands on him. 
and like take that's how he takes out like Wilford Brimley like he's just very very old manish feeling and but in this he's very lively and he's very like he's he's like into this stuff with him riding a horse is hilarious (laughs) yeah he's going for it I think it's him I think it's I don't think it's a stunt double it looks like it's actually him I think it is him too it'd be that'd be a tough stunt double I think to pull off uh because it really feels like him well, and so so he's 59 when he's shooting this, or, or pretty close to that. And then I was watching a couple nights ago The Thing, which is 10 years or 11 years before this came out, and he looks exactly the same. <laughs> I know, it's incredible. It's such a, I don't know if that's a talent, because just looking old is probably not what anybody wants to be wrong of, but like, it really, like... Him being in this is just one of those weird things that really does escalate the movie for me, especially yeah. in the third act. Oh, yeah, because the accent is so crazy. Uh, I have yeah. no idea if it's good, bad, terrible, appropriately hilarious. Like, it's just crazy. And uh, it's like, it's never not entertaining when he's on screen. <laughs> no, he, he delivers for me 100%. It's Wilfred Brimley, like, going for it with this batshit accent. <laughs> And he's almost my grandparents' age when this comes out. So it's like it's like thinking about okay, imagine your grandparents uh shooting people with arrows and running a distillery out in the in the bayou. Yeah, that he is very concerned about like spilling a drop of his uh, precious precious uh moonshine. Do you think that uh that there's a chance that Bobby Boucher is somehow tied into the uh the Boudreaux family? Related to because I, I feel like um Adam Sandler's bringing the same sort of accent energy that Brimley is. Oh, very much, yeah. <laughs> so, speaking of grandparents, that was like my grandma, my grandfather's favorite movies was The Water Boy. <laughs> really? That's funny. Yes. Um, and my kids also seem to really enjoy it, too. Yeah, so, yeah, so we've um, watched that a, a couple times here. <laughs> so, we, we've talked accents. Again, I think uh, JCVD's accent is, this is like one of the most plausible payoffs of like, okay, we found a way to, you know, within the plot, explain logically explain his accent. When should we talk about the hair? <laughs> so, I mean, we can talk about it right now if you'd like. Because he's got a real Billy Ray Cyrus vibe in, in this, and it's perfect for '93. But it is such yeah. a weird, gross-looking choice throughout the movie. I 100 percent agree until it gets to the end. And he's doing backflips through fire, and the hair is like flying behind him in slow the John Woo slow motion. And I was like, I take it back. The hair is perfect. It's everything. Like, it looks amazing. It looks incredible in this final scene. It was worth it for him. It, it it does it does it does work. Like you're right. And I was watching. I watched the scene where he um the motorcycle chase, where he jumps over the car or the truck and then he rolls over and it is fun to it is fun you're right when he's doing flips and you just see it like flip with yeah, him flipping around it did make me laugh and it does look good and it does it does give him it's it's like an inverse batman cape it's like it gives him some <laughs> some presence and i don't know how to quite describe what it is but it does well, it does give him something like a flourish that he gets every time something he does fights it's given like things from this movie, like a whole li- internet life, because like <laughs> pictures or memes of Van Damme with that here are just like you just look at it. It's so insane that it's like, it's like oh my god, I get like it just it just has made it like 
oddly timeless and it, even though it's a period of time where for like four years where a human being would have that haircut yeah and and like again i go i go back to the billy ray cyrus of it like that was i think around this time oh yeah <laughs> sure country was having a resurgence and billy ray cyrus was the guy with a, a mullet that was singing achy breaky heart and people absolutely loved it <laughs> um Yep. Unfortunately. Heart was 92. Okay. So yeah, this was um and that was So yeah, the Billy Ray Cyrus Aki Breaky Heart 1992. So this is like this is the peak of this of would this you, of this haircut. Would you call this the zenith of uh of mullets? Ooh. That is tough. Although nothing drives me crazier than the mullet is making a comeback. Um well, that's more like the '80s mullet to me is making a comeback. Where you got the shaved sides, you've got the true, uh, the true '80s yeah. mullet, like like the Brian Bosworth type mullet from from the yeah. '80s. I, I see so many like little kids whose parents have them in a mullet. And yeah, I, like like I, I want to report them to like child protective services. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I know, I know a few people who who like, does that. You're making a bad choice. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> like, <clears throat> I can't talk. I my kid was like. I want a lightning bolt cut in my hair. And I'm like, fuck it. Let's do that. After yeah. like a year of just getting harassed about it, I finally just broke down and said, great. If you want to do it, it looks stupid. We're going to always remember this. So, so that's, so that's my, so with my ex-wife, that's the kind of argument you sometimes have. Like she's very particular about how she wants like the kids here. Yeah. And so like sometimes like, and I'm like, no, you got to let them make their choices now. Cause they got to get these bad choices out of the way now. Yes. That's that, that was kind of where I you got to. That, yeah. You got to let them do this. <laughs> Otherwise they're going to be 25 and have a lightning bolt in their hair. Cause they finally <laughs> get to, they finally get to do, have control over this. That, that was kind of the logic in my head was like, he'll do it for a little bit, then he'll get over it. And then, but it's like, if I never let him do it, it'll always be one of those things where it's like, he's going to try and come back to, to it. it. Yeah, and I'm like, all right, so I'm just whatever. So we let no one at like 25 is going to get the same haircut they had when they were eight. So no, 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 100. So you get, or so, or like this is just like a the path he's going to choose in life to have crazy haircuts. And it's like, well, that's just who he is then. <clears throat> yeah, I think I was his is like, I don't even think Tyreek Hill has this haircut. He's like, there was like a, a football player or somebody. He's like, they have like a like a lightning bolt cut in there he's like i want to do that and i'm like i'm like your head's too small and like the way your hair is shaped i'm like we're gonna have to reshape all the hair on your head to make this functionally work for you to have a haircut like that you can also kind of style to look normal but we did it and it's fine you know whatever and he's happy but to your point you gotta have a system but uh yeah, yeah we're not doing the mullets kid, definitely not doing the mullets i went yeah when i was a kid i went through a period where i would shave things have the barber shave things into the back of my head. <laughs> uh, so like during like, soccer, um, I, well, so like during uh, like not that elaborate, but during soccer season, um, I was number eight, and I had the had him shave an eight into the back of my head, and I remember him being <laughs> like awesome. really pissed off that I was number eight. He's like, you couldn't have been like eleven, <laughs> like <laughs> you had to be the hardest number. <laughs> like even like a seven would be easier, like. Uh, but then we were going on a vacation to California. We were going to go to a Dodger game. So I had yeah. him shave the LA Dodger logo into the back of my head. That's elaborate. Uh, yeah. 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 So, uh, so I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very supportive of Carter's endeavors to uh, <laughs> shave things into his head. I never did it, it as a kid. Good time a to kid. get that out of your system. 
I, I, I think you're right. I think it is, it is a good age and, and good period in his life to, to, to just work it out. I never did that stuff as a kid. I was also never going to be allowed to do that stuff as a kid. I agree with you that it is good to, to let them try that stuff. Cause you're doing it. It's not like it's, it's not like I'm giving him the razor and putting it in his hand. Be like, all right, you figured this yeah, out. Yeah, go next, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right, we're going, went to a stylist. They did it and it, it looks okay. And, I know it's when he's to your point when he's 25, it's I, you know, God willing, not gonna be what his haircut looks like. <laughs> but but yeah, so I did enjoy that for what I don't I, I I didn't look it up, but I would love to know what the logic the logic chain was that Van Dam needs to have a uh a mullet in this. Like I don't know if again, New Orleans, is this what you want your city to be represented by? Uh uh <laughs> Yeah, and, who who chose the haircut? Yeah, was, it, was Van Dam rocking this at the time, and they just and they just like had him keep it? Did they specifically want uh, this I, haircut? I, or I could see him wanting this. That's that's what's funny about it. Yeah, yeah, like that's what was cool at the time, and because trying to look at other movies around this time, if this is like something he ran with for a little bit. Um, all right, here here's some trivia while you're while you're I don't this is internet so. trivia. Um apparently Kurt Russell was was John Woo's first choice for uh the lead in this, which thank God Kurt Russell didn't do it. I like Kurt Russell a lot, so I feel like that would be a terrible idea, but that kind of makes the hair thing come together for me. <laughs> then they were going with the Yeah, it's like he had that feathered hair in the 80s, like that was like a big part of his sort of look in the late 80s. Maybe that's what Wu had in his head is he's like, the character's just got to look like this. But can you imagine fucking Kurt Russell having that haircut? <laughs> oh, my God. He would not have horrible. had that haircut. He would have kept the Kurt Russell. Yeah, he would have kept the Kurt Ru- Russell hair. But, but yeah, it would have yeah. been hilarious. Yeah. So Van Damme, Time Cop, he's got something similar going on. It's not quite this. He goes back and forth in that, right? Like, he doesn't he have like a... Right, because he's jumping... In, time, the, the time hops. He, the t- yeah. he doesn't always... Yeah, so that is maybe also an ex- more explicable choice that you're helping the audience with that. that that's how they're dating it. Well, no, because when he goes to the future, he's got the crazy hair. He's got the mullet hair. And when he goes back in time, he's got the short hair. So no, I don't know. Like that's a, damn, that's a weird one. I can't wait to do time cop. I, I saw it as a, awesome. I think it's streaming right now. And I'm like, I really want to watch it, but I want to hold <laughs> off until, until uh, we decide to cover it. Yeah. It's like, Till the world's I, ready. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but we have an inordinate amount of Van Damme movies that we've already covered <laughs> compared to like Stallone, I can, Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I can tell you exactly why. Because you're, we're, you're getting my input on the choices every time. <laughs> I mean, I, I enjoy I'm always going to gravitate towards Van Damme movies. <laughs> I, I enjoy them. That was, Those are the ones yeah. that, that were probably oh, more accessible. Essentially the perfect line of... There's just a lot to talk about because they're... they're often like good and entertaining but there's also like crazy things happening in it so they're very uh podcast friendly <laughs> to discuss they, they are and uh and i will say um time cop is streaming on peacock roku pluto uh freebie and plex so there's a lot of options out there for us to i mean that, we, we've already identified like what we, we could do time cop next we've already identified that we could do face off next i think we we hit surviving a bunch of just surviving the game. I mean, like the the um, 
the Van Damme tree of movies is can really branch out very quickly here for us in terms of what will open us up up to. Uh, I always forget Time Cop is Peter Hyams. Um, who he was a uh, what is his background? I'm, I, I'm I know we talked about this before. I cannot for life of me remember. Yeah, um, I mean, I I mean his exact backgrounds. Um, <laughs> I well, couldn't tell you. He may no, like he, he, there's like something big. Well established like action director. Um, well, I mean he did. Um. Um, running scared. I know it was beloved by a lot of people in some circles. Okay. But then he did like Capricorn One. Uh, that's right. That's 2010, that's the 2001 sequel. Um, I, sudden uh, death. <laughs> that's 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 right. Uh, that maybe that's where we talked about him. Was uh, he did in a day? Okay. Yeah. He, he. Yeah. Yeah. He has done a lot of stuff. A lot of, a lot of good stuff. A lot of not so good stuff. But yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um. All right, we're we're all right. So we're way off track. We went from hair into know, time cop to into. We have uh, plenty of time cop things to talk about. <laughs> we do. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil that. That's that. That one's going to be a real treat. So I don't want to. I want to lose. It. <laughs> um. Well, so man, I'm not even sure where to pick this back up, other than just uh, it, this has this has some some terrific uh kind of cheesy characters i think you said it in your notes this has a and you said it earlier this has a real silk stockings vibe to it of like the the first 20 minutes is <laughs> it's like a real gauzy like shooting a seven shots of like a kind of a tan it's like when they meet up it's like this could go this could become a softcore porn pretty easy like yeah 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 well because there's the moment where so van damme plays uh chance, I, he, he chance he, boudreau Jens Boudreau works in like sh- like shipping. He's in like the Union in New Orleans, like working on shipping like lines yeah. and stuff. Um, and I guess he's like he had like a fight, so he was like uh, like off, so he's a little down on his luck. But they like, brought him back in, but he needs money to pay his union dues so he he can get his next job. And that's why he like joins forces with with this um with Natasha. And there's a moment where she offers him. She's like, "I'll give you like." a hundred dollars a day to like to work on to to work for me and he's like well what's the job and she's like does it matter <laughs> yeah you're right and then there's like a moment of like like a sliding doors moment where this could have gone like softcore porn <laughs> industry to, to work <laughs> or or it's going to be an action movie <laughs> like <laughs> yeah that's true like you could just cut around the porn scenes and it would you know they would still be the same movie. Like you, you could do this. Yeah, and it would yeah. never. It would not change a thing about this movie. She's like, I'm, I'm, I'm recruiting young, attractive, in shape men for uh, for pornography movies. <laughs> it was pornography, and and, and like the Lance Hendrickson is an evil porn producer, and like, it's like there's a whole other like world where this could have gone to that, that I he, that I'd be, I'd be I'd be on board with. He does have a kind of a Jackie Treehorn vibe, like a darker Jackie <laughs> Treehorn vibe. <laughs> so, yeah, I can see that. Um, you can see him saying he likes lollipops in his ass or whatever. Uh, or, no, he's like, I like lollipops in my mouth and butter in my ass. Like, yeah. <laughs> doesn't make any sense, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it does, the credits in this look really cheap. The way it is shot in, in some scenes, the weird, bad, paced slow-mo, like it, there's just... There's a lot of stuff, but it was funny because when I was, I agree with you on all your points and, and, and you're right. Like the way the movie opens in the first half of the movie, when they're in new Orleans, it does have this really weird, like 
USA TV, like late night TV show, like softcore porn feel to how it's kind of shot and, and how the aesthetic of the movie. And but I then think I was... that's Wu's coming from Hong Kong. Like, mm-hmm. He just would use like a gauzier filtered look on, on that stuff. And like, I, I just think it's taken like the film styling of another place that doesn't associate that look with like the USA, like late night erotic vibe. I guess, but then that was, what's funny was uh, what I was going to say was when I watched the, uh, Grant, I was watching it in HD and uh, in HD, I watched the final 10 minutes of the movie. The final 10 minutes of the movie looks fantastic. It looks like a right. totally different it, it movie. It kind of loses that look yeah. like halfway through. And um, yeah, it looks a lot sharper and crisper and it's well shot. It's 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 yeah. It's very sharp, very crisp. Uh, the color scheme and the palette's very different. It doesn't have you know. It almost looks like they had a completely different lens set for what they were shooting the the action sequences with. But the DP is a guy named Russell Carpenter who he was the DP on Titanic, <laughs> and yeah, True Lies. Uh, and he did some other you know some other big Hollywood movies. Um, actually, even on he's on Avatar three. Um, yeah, so, so I'm curious. I heard there was some like issues with him and Wu of like communication and it took a little bit. So I wonder if some of that early stuff, if they weren't on the same page. Uh yeah, could be. And when they, they got and like that they shot some of that first. Um and then they kind of got like, okay, this is what we're trying to do. Yeah, and they maybe figure they it got out. more. Um or if he if maybe the communication got better and he talked to Wu like, oh, like and we would associate that look with this. Or if that early stuff, because a lot of it is the establishing shots, that could just have not been shot by Wu. And it could have been second unit. Was second unit guy in in or like, yeah. That's true. That's a, that's a very so good it's point. Not, um, Cause the, this has two assistant directors, um, a guy named Dennis McGuire and a guy named John Gall- Gallagher. And I, I am curious, like, well, Gallagher was on Evita, the specialist in the Scarlet Letter. So I wonder if he just didn't, he just didn't do too much after that. And then Dennis McGuire was a guy who worked on this, but he worked on misery. He also worked on the specialist, which all right, there's going to be a story there. I want to go find out. Um, he works on, he worked on last crusade too. So like he, he did some big stuff and he also worked on Evita. So, okay. Maybe these guys are just like a combo, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if to your point, like they just, they just did some people who were going to just do, b-roll for them and 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 it wasn't woo it wasn't this guy shooting it because yeah they, it does change oh the, oh the studio came in after it's so, oh we need more establishing yeah shots on these things or something there yeah yeah interesting yeah so this movie's kind of get three action set pieces although a couple of them span different locations so it's, yeah. it's maybe more like six or seven um, so we talk about like the early one where it introduces um, Chance Boudreaux. He kicks the ass of this gang. He's trying to mug mug Natasha outside the diner. Um, and then they discuss some other stuff. And the next one is really there's like a showdown, a shootout, and um, that really holds up well. Like I yeah. thought that still looked looked fantastic. It was really well shot. And it is like this is like the John Woo, like oh, it's someone who knows how to shoot action because this all feels 
Uh, there's some things where there's like a little slow mo and stuff. It's like that's more of the time. Um, but the great it builds up to the moment of uh, Chance Boudreaux riding a motorcycle, getting up, standing on the motorcycle, playing chicken with this truck with a bad guy. Also, while he's doing this, he is firing a gun <laughs> and taking people out in this truck. Right before the truck and the motor are about to collide, he jumps over the truck, does a flip, and uh, almost sticks the landing, but does fall down. Uh, but then, like, the truck explodes and everything, and it's like, oh, fuck, this is, in 90, like, 1993, like, this is everything, like, you wanted from an action movie. Like, John Claude Van Damme surfing on a motorcycle, flipping over a truck that explodes. I was like, this is, like, this is what I want. No, I, 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 you're right. It's, it still holds up. It's still an awesome. It's still an awesome sequence, and it's, in fact, it's so awesome. And I want to talk about this. That scene is in Halloween Ends, as one of the main characters is is watching Hard Target, and uh, <laughs> I read that David Gordon Green. They're like, yeah, we wanted to put it in the movie, and all we had to do was get um, Van Damme's permission. So they, they, they literally, the producers got a hold of Van Damme and got his permission to actually show his likeness in. Halloween ends. So for whatever reason, uh, uh, what's his name? Corey's uncle or whatever is yeah. watching this towards the third act of, of Halloween ends. So, which I don't, I don't know why that was important to them. I don't <laughs> either, but I love it. It makes me happy yeah. that they they put it in there. Um, but yeah, I I think this is such a good action sequence. The, the thing with where he he drives a guy on a motorcycle into a box, a bunch of boxes. Uh, um, that's straight out of Hard Boiled. So it's yeah, to your no, point. It's, it's no. him. That dipping whole into that last warehouse secret is there he like lifted a lot of things lifted from hard boils yeah i i'd say the 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 third third well not third act fight but the that the final action sequence in this is pretty much a scaled down version of the hospital fight that's in hard boiled at the end um you know with people shooting through glass and jumping through yeah, and it's also yeah, from and, the, the big warehouse one too in hard boiled um yeah in the, in the in the middle like the in second the act fight taking yeah because there's stuff where van damme like slides under a table like double yep. like, double shooting guns it's like oh that's like right out of it um which I, it makes sense at this time that like that's why they're bringing john woo in is and be like most american audiences would not have seen hard boiled at this point um and so it's like yeah it's like deliver that <laughs> like that's what we want we want that but with like an american like an action star american audiences know that we can sell because like they're going to be blown the fuck away well and i think what's you're i think you're right 100 percent right and i i think what what why this to me this movie still holds up is van damme can pull up all the physicality that you kind of need to, to pair up with what woo's trying to do with the action and i i, I think i never feel like one of my comments I remind my notes was Wu really knows how to shoot Van Damme in his fights. And I think that all works really well. And they're, they're a pretty good pair when it comes to the physicality that they need for this role. And it, it's taking all the stuff that really works really well for the Hong Kong cinema stuff that Wu did. And then you're adding another layer of physicality that, that wasn't there in those movies, at least not as much. And it really seems to, to work in a lot of ways. So I, I, I think, you're, you're kind of getting the best of both worlds in this. And I think um, Van Damme's physicality with Wu's sensibility on how to shoot and what he wants to get uh, pair up to me, pair up really well in this. I That's one of those things where it just, the fights all work and look really good to me. At least yeah, the Van Damme, like, Van Damme pieces. Van Damme does a lot of like flips in this and there's, and then there's a lot of stuff with like 
his like kicking skills, and it's like it's all you you buy all of it, you believe it, and that's maybe we did like Broken Arrow with some of the like Christian Slater wasn't really couldn't really pull off no some of that stuff, so you missed not really some of that physicality you'd get in the in the Wu movies. Actually, I will say I would rather see a Kurt Russell, uh, John Travolta, uh, Broken Arrow than uh, having mm. Christian Slater. I think that would be because they're they're basically the same age, I think, or pretty close. So that would be yeah, a would more guess. even match. And I think um, Kurt Russell would probably bring something a lot more interesting and physical to the to the role than um, than what Christian Slater did. But let's not forget Howie Long. I did uh, actually. Yeah. I should. I should. Howie talk. Long. More Howie Long. A, a friend of mine listened to it, and he's like, "Man, he's like that Howie Long thing." He's like, "My mom took me to see this when I was when I was a kid," and he's like, "My mom couldn't stop talking about how attractive she thought Howie Long." Was. <laughs> oh, okay, so, Howie Long was there for the ladies. <laughs> oh yeah, so I was like, uh, "I was like, you should you should buy your dad a flat a flat top haircut for Christmas and get it." <laughs> so. That would be oh, pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I do, uh, I do, I do think, man, the, 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 the beginning, like you said, that it's shot so weird, but it does, it does seem to steadily improve as the movie uh, progresses. That it, it gets visually better and better and better. Well, and I so. think because it gets more pure action oriented. Yeah, it's, that, it's, and that probably helps too. That that's more the the wheelhouse that uh, they're comfortable in. Yeah. And the um, issue, um, and it translates uh, kind of more universally. Uh, so, um, so I had a few. I, I think I had three more things I definitely wanted us to. Do, um, I, did you have anything? No, I. Well, I, I. That's the problem. Is like I could just, you know, top of mind talk about this movie for hours. So no, I think I. I, I would. I would prefer we go to the focused route of <laughs> exactly okay. what you want to talk about. Okay, so so uh, Fucha, Lance Hendrickson's character, he has a very like special, unique gun that like can fire one bullet at a time, and he's got this like special ammunition on like a belt. But he's like really cavalier with, like he's really particular about like loading it and like saving the bullets and stuff. But then he throws away the casings, just kind of pretty like cavalier and just lets them fly. And, like, I was like, this seems like really irresponsible that you have this incredibly unique gun that seems to have somewhat unique ammunition. It just seems like leaving these casings around, like, whenever all this shit gets investigated, they're really going to be able to tie all of this to the guy who has this, like the one gun that no one else is using within like this century. Yeah, like it's a... Uh... It's a. I mean, it's yeah. a good villain affectation, but it was. It's, I was like, what? What is happening? Why don't we get this guy? Um, I, I think that the, I, I feel like it's just their way of trying to show that he's eccentric and he's a sporting guy. Um, <laughs> like, like I get what they're going for, but you're right. Like, like he he seems really smart, but then everything else he does is really dumb. Like he does the like he just leaves shells behind, and and generally acts like an irresponsible asshole when he's using that card. So I, I don't know. I don't like so cocky. <laughs> like um I, 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 yeah. I think I yeah. Well and what's funny was at the end of this, so I, I did watch the ending. There's a there's a part where um uh JCVD's still fighting with uh with Van Cleef and all of a sudden uh 
Fushan pops up and he's using like a another pistol and then he drops that and then he pulls this gun out. So it's like, I'm like, it's weird. They kind of go back and forth on it. They don't use it really. I, I think they're trying to make him seem cool and like sophisticated and like sporting because he's got this gun. But then other times he just drops the whole thing and, and like, yeah. it doesn't matter. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, they um, never make a big, like, too big. Like, it's it's kind of like something that seems like it was in a version of the movie kind of get lost a little bit. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, no, it does really work that he's such a cocky asshole that, like, he's just, just like, he seems to think he's, like, completely untouchable. But I guess, he, I guess they, you know, to your point, we need the prequel. In theory, they are because yes. they, they, they oh, indicate they've done awesome. this in Latin America and, and Africa and yeah. a couple other places. Um, just Which, to your point for New Orleans, the basically they're like talking about they're doing this in like kind of like war torn areas of the world where like all this goes under the radar because it's like so much violence and death that like no one notices. It's like, and then we came to New Orleans. Yes, we could also do it here in America, an American city. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I actually I'm gonna spend some time after this and look up. I want to see what the city of New Orleans perspective was on uh, on why they got like why this get made. Were they just happy to have like a big movie filming there? Like I know sometimes that's the like, yeah. I think I think like that might be a part of it for the the economy. They're just trying to get like productions to come, and they're like, we're not causing any trouble. Like come on down, do whatever you want. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that I think there is an aspect of that because I think this was, I think. Uh, I, I get the sense that this was. I, I don't think the '80s were friendly to uh, to New Orleans. Like I know, uh, Clint Eastwood's got a movie called uh, Tightrope. I, I do from, think it got rough. Uh, yeah, and I, I think um, uh, it's all Archie Manning's fault. And uh, <laughs> he just gave them a goddamn Super Bowl that none of this would ever happen. Um, I think uh, um, Tightrope doesn't portray it that well in 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 the mid 80s so i i'm wondering if maybe this was like them just trying to get people to come back to new orleans if they were having a hard time with it but i'll, I'll definitely look that up but uh <laughs> i did want to say uh, i looked up and i'm embarrassed i even know about this website but it's called the internet uh firearms or movie or movie firearms database and the gun <laughs> in question is the thompson center arms contender and it's the same type of gun that was used by um there's a character in hard target called mad dog who's basically i think he's like a gun for hire assassin who and you said in hard target or sorry in, in hard boiled in hard boiled, hard boiled. Oh, he, he's okay. the guy um who he ends up turning to be a good guy at the end um i think he 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 fights pretty hard with chow yun fat's character throughout the movie and then in the hospital i can't remember what it was but he turns to become a good guy, but he okay. he he uses the same gun. Yeah. So, uh, okay, interesting. So it's okay, it's so it, it is it is Wu kind of bringing a lot of that same stuff over. Yeah, one of his tropes, kind of thing. Yeah, uh, interesting, interesting. Okay. Hmm. 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 Okay. Hmm. Now I have to rewatch Hard Boiled and then watch this again to watch it through that lens of no. I I actually was going to rewatch Hard Boiled okay, for another yeah, another okay. podcast I listened to, so okay, I, I will okay. probably probably be checking it out soon yeah so if you want to cover that next too we could also cover that next <laughs> yeah it's good good we have like six movies now uh ready um, to go that's right um but all right what else you got I, sorry okay. sorry i took you off target i mean i like i know as soon as we stop recording 
I'm going to be thinking all day about like six more things that I was like, <laughs> talk about that. But one we absolutely have to talk about uh, is the snake. I was, yeah, no, that was on my list too. Like, we have to talk about the snake. That Van Damme punches a snake in this movie. Do you think Peter was upset? As a booby trap. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I kind of love it. It doesn't, it's completely unnecessary and it doesn't actually slow down the bad guys other than for about 10 seconds. I mean, it takes uh, one out. <laughs> takes one of them out, but like, you got Uncle Duvi with his bow and arrow. I feel like he probably could. He probably could have been just as effective. <laughs> Why don't you set up for us what what exactly uh, Chance Boudreaux does with with said snake? So he's talking with Natasha, and he's like, he's like, "Do you trust me?" And she's like, "Why? What?" He's like, and he's like, "Close your eyes," <laughs> and he grabs a snake that's like coming for her, punches it, and like knocks it out. And then, and she's like, I think she asks, like, is it dead? He's like, and it's, I forget exactly. He's like, not hardly. And like, so then somehow he rigs it up in a tree. Well, he, on he, a, with he bites, he bites off the rattler. Don't forget that. He, That's he, right. he uses his teeth and he bites <laughs> off the rattler so of this the, unconscious Obviously, snake. so they can't hear it coming. <laughs> I, I love it. And he set, set, attaches it to like a tripwire on the ground, but puts it up in a tree. So this guy triggers the tripwire and somehow it like lifts the snake up like wakes it up because the snake still kind of lunges on its own yeah and then yeah, it's all it hard to tell sense. because this is definitely not a real snake <laughs> like oh no is happening with so it's also hard to tell is like what is what point is the snake supposed to be unconscious and what point is the snake like just not a real snake and like they're trying to fake this but so it like latches down onto this guy's face and like bites him and like and it's just supposed to show like I guess like like Chance Boudreau has like a mastery of like the wilderness. <laughs> it's like this it, is his home territory, the bayou. Exactly. He, well, hey, if anybody have ever played the game uh Billy Bayou or Bayou Billy, excuse me, on Nintendo, you have to fight snakes and alligators in that. So that's actually like I'm a little disappointed. It should have been more of like an alligator thing than it than it should have been like a a snake thing uh but uh i'm here for it i i i really enjoy the whole point and it, it goes to your whole this could be a softcore porn uh aspect of it is when he's getting the snake and he's telling her to close her eyes they do this weird slow-mo uh of where he pulls the snake across her shoulders and she is like semi-orgasmic when the snake <laughs> like she sees the snake revealed in front of her it's a, it's such a straight it could be completely a sexual metaphor if they really wanted it to be. I think they're they're Maybe they're going is. for like surprise and and this pomp and circumstance around uh, what Boudreaux can do, but it 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 does land in this very uncomfortable like weird <laughs> sexual vibe to it too. Like it could just be a metaphor for his dick if that's really what they want to do with it. Like, it's so, strange. So do you think? Um... Hideo Kojima was inspired by this for a Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake, snake Eater. Snake Eater. Yes. Yeah. I 110% think he was inspired by this. I hope he was. I know he I know he it was wouldn't shock he, me. He's definitely inspired by uh any number of action movies. And well, like 80% of Snake Plissken's persona is is like Solid Snake in, in the Metal Gear or, yeah, or they're definitely Big Boss and, and the, 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 I mean kind of the look of him too, with like the mullet is yeah. semi 
So I, it's funny. I wonder how much John Carpenter has actually influenced uh, with without meaning to actually influence it. It's just kind of luck of when he made his stuff. Uh, it, it must have been a lot. But yeah, I think this is definitely the, the inspiration for Snake Eater is uh, is hard target. Chance Boudreau biting the ass of a snake off. The gift that keeps on giving. So, um, no, it, it, it is one of those where I don't. It establishes nothing, and it doesn't slow the bad guys down at all. So it it does make me just laugh, and I'm like, okay, we're we're doing this now. Let's let's uh, let's show him let's show him being completely adept at, at navigating the bayou. It's completely unnecessary, but let's do it. Yeah, uh, it's great. Um, then the the one other thing I'm talking about was like the final the final fight. Um. I mean, there's so many like crazy moments um, in it, but there's a great classic John Woo face off between um, Boudreaux and Van Cleef where like they're like both backed against like the same wall and shot. And then they're both turning like double shooting and like diving through things. Um, and Van Damme slides under the table, shoots Van Cleef, but then like catch when he's falling over, he catches him with his foot kind of like kicks him again and it makes him drop a grenade that Van Damme catches and then he kicks him away but he'll use that grenade later on when he's fighting Fuchan and he does so they, they, they like I don't know how exactly this worked Van Damme runs and covers like 50 feet <laughs> to do a jump kick into him while and while Fuchan's trying to like raise up a gun to shoot him, and it's like the timing is like Van Dam is e- as fast as it takes to like raise a gun. <laughs> and he's like, so he jumps into him, kicks him, sends him flying. There's a whole thing, but then they have like one final thing where he's got him, pulls his pants out, drops the grenade down his pants, and I love like it. takes off running. And it's like, ah, oh, grenade to the dick. <laughs> I, I love it. Well, he, he uses it as like a brass knuckle in essence to 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 beat the hell out of Fushan. And then yeah, I, I love the I'm going to blow your dick off effectively yeah. as the, the motivation. <laughs> it's such the the movies of this time, like that macho dick measuring element of like the ultimate like it's just like insult to injury to like some like also like emasculate you like while i'm while i'm doing this like it, it does feel like a, a very much a little kid idea of like then he throws a grenade on his dick and then it blows up yeah. it's, like, it's like the worst thing and it's it's you're exactly right like that age of and like what i still enjoy about these movies that it still taps into like like the 12 year old boy who's like still in there and it's like that was fucking cool. Like, I can't wait to tell everyone in the playground about this movie. Like, I, uh, one thing I will say before we, we, well, uh, I'll come back to it. It's okay. All right. No, what do you get? Just a couple times in the ending. Um, I, it also made me laugh. Like, it's kind of the same thing as the, it's, it's in the same wheelhouse as the grenade of like Van Damme will, um, shoot somebody 16 times in the chest and then he will also then roundhouse them in the face and it's like ah buddy i don't think you need to 
I don't think you need the roundhouse to really close this deal. <laughs> They're already what, probably dead. What I love is like the movie posits the roundhouse is more powerful than the 16 bullets <laughs> in the chest. Exactly. It's like, like that's what kills them. I think if you if you waited another Without two the seconds. Roundhouse, they were going to be all right. Yeah. If you just wait another two seconds, they're probably going to fall over. This is going to all be done. So, yeah. Um, I did him a couple times. That's some awesome stuff where he like kicks a guy, keeps his leg in the air, and then kicks another guy, kind of the same thing. And it's like, it's what you're getting with Van Damme, like the physical ability of, and it really adds like an extra layer of uh, like badassness uh, to the action scenes. I, I think, again, um, I had seen something that that Wu and JCB didn't get along that well. Again, probably yeah, a, yeah. a language barrier issue. But and again, uh, JCBD's career is is ascending, so he's probably got yeah, a bit I, of ego. Yeah, I think but, they're both fighting. Like, whose vision for the movie is that? Like, Wu's trying to make a great action movie, and JCBD is like, oh, we're making a JCBD movie. Like, that's what we're doing here. I'm the star. It's all about like showcasing me right so, yeah, i think that was the but but to your point it's it's the irony of it of them fighting about it is like Wu does such a good job like on how he how he captures jcvd that it's like yeah don't fight him man he knows what he's doing he, yeah. he's got this yeah like they... uh, yeah it's almost you wish J- you could have talked to van damme and been like man just like turn your career over to this guy like he can use you so well like is like just let him run with you like let him do like that may have been a better choice. Yeah, I, I think um, I think you're right because after um, sudden death with Peter Himes, I don't, I don't think JCBD works with a director again, at least not for a very long time. It's like anywhere near the yeah, caliber of what probably. he was working with earlier in his career. He like he he really does kind of he gets bad scripts and then he gets into bad film films. And I think to your point, if he had just worked more with people who knew how to get what was good about him out i think he he probably may have had a little bit of a different trajectory yeah although you wonder if it's like a blessing and a curse or like that early on he like took a lot of control over his career and like you're talking about like blood sport re-editing and thing and like he he found his formula kind of helped kind of helped make himself a little bit through that and then you wonder if once he started working with like people with a little more talent if he needed to learn to like let go and trust them a little bit more I I, like, I agree. You're at a higher level. You're not like you're not making canon movies anymore. That you need to have some vision. Like let these guys cook a little bit and see what they can do with you. <laughs> cook with the legs. Cook with your big legs. <laughs> um, uh, I yeah I I just to touch on it because we we haven't fully hit it because uh, I took us off. But Hendrickson getting the grenade down the pants. I I do love that he actually is like a capable enough character that he gets the grenade out. And he's able to disassemble the the effectively the firing pin from the grenade and separate it. And he's like, ha, and he just laughs. He gives this great laugh, like like villain, villain, like, I did it. I outsmarted the good guy. And then it still sparks and still blows him up. Like I don't, I don't know enough great. about the technology there to like know. That's why I, I, it's a moment that like I was like, I don't under, I, I don't know if I can bring this up because I don't entirely understand what's happening. I I I the implication as best I, I could take it was there's a firing pin or some sort of spark device that's at, at the other end of the, the grenade. And it's just close enough when he pulls out the pin that it sends a spark into the gunpowder that's within the, the body of the grenade itself. And so he's still basically 
allows it to detonate, detonate. because he doesn't separate them enough. So, which I was kind of like, this guy's supposed to be like, I don't know, this badass killer. Like, I think he would have separated him enough. I, I think so too. I think I kind of feel there's a better chance than not that Hendrix Hendrickson's character survives this whole thing and actually kills Boudreau. <laughs> but um, uh, what do I know? And I, I, the other thing, when you mentioned it too, when JCBD slides into the table and he shoots, uh, um, what's his name? He shoots uh, Van Cleef. Oh, Van Cleef. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the coffee. Good morning. Um, I, I he, there's Van Cleef's got like 19 grenades strapped to his chest. It's like how does <laughs> yeah. How does JCVD not just hit one of those and, and blow up everybody in the process? Like I, I just I, that that to me was like more implausible that yeah, like he can he can be accurate upside down sliding backwards <laughs> shooting two guns. Like okay, that's some John Woo movie magic right there. Yeah, yeah, that's the stuff that's like you know what you're getting. You're signed. You signed up for <laughs> this stuff. Yeah, it, it it works, but it, it did it did make me laugh. I do like, I do like the showdown with him and Van Cleef, though. I do think, like, yeah, it's a good. One. They're fun villains. They're really fun it's, villains. In it's this. well earned as well because Van yeah. Cleef's really been set up as like a great great villain. Has been killing people. Um, like yeah, it, it, it's it's nice when uh, kind of the second guy that it is it it's just a well earned battle. It feels like an equal footing like it feels like a challenge yeah i uh i i have one last question for you which was did you have a favorite mardi gras float that they were blowing up (laughs) (laughs) mardi gras plays Uh, a big role in this the uh the one that wilford brimley uncle doobie shoots an arrow through to kill somebody with yeah the tries to hide the behind the float. <laughs> <laughs> it, I, I love that's that's something i've started noticing more and more in movies as i understand like the physics of these things of like if someone's shooting at you with a gun you got to be really choosy about what you try to hide behind because well let's just go through things for the most part like yeah I, uh... it's like like real thick metal like <laughs> Um, so this guy hides behind his, like, it basically looks like, like a paper mache float thing and like arrow just rips right through it. Yeah, um, that that's the, I don't know the physics of arrows well enough to know if like, can you physically shoot an arrow hard enough that it's actually going to go through like that much wood and it's then penetrate somebody's neck? dog tag in this. Uh, yes, that that's that's from like a, a uh, pressurized gun. So I, I could at least believe okay. like a crossbow. I, I believe that could happen. But... I think in closer, like I think, if like a really good bow, like I think those can shoot pretty damn hard if you have like the right ones. I think they're really hard to shoot. Um, you have to that, be really strong. But Uncle Duvies um, using like a Flintstones level bow and arrow. It's like it's like <laughs> literally just a stick with rope tied around each <laughs> agent. So it yeah, but he's got that Cajun Bayou strength, you know. So <laughs> sixty year like oh he's got old man. He does have old man strength in this for yeah. sure. I mean he's um, out there like probably shooting gators with that thing. So that's probably I mean, true. I bet, it can, I bet it's uh, I bet it's well built. So, but no, I I I loved the entire finale of this, and actually, I think yeah, I gotta look it back it's up. It's up there with like the John Woo action set pieces of. It's just fun. Like it's just yeah, it's it, it shot real well. Uh, it does feel like a good payoff against the villains. It's an interesting set, um, and it, it's a place where it's like okay, I could I could at least believe like. The only thing that's not plausible about this is it's a Mardi Gras um, storage. Uh, float facility 
it's in the middle of the bayou. <laughs> yeah, like, they like, go from Uncle Doobie's house. What is this? this thing. Like, what is right. this place? Like, I don't know. Like, sure, why not? Maybe. Yeah, during during after Mardi Gras, they're like asking the mayor, "Where do we want to keep this stuff? You get this the far the fuck out of the city as you can. Yeah, I do not want this shit inside the city limits." So, um, I was oh, what was I? I had one more thing I wanted to bring up. Um, oh, the the stunt. I think he actually may have gotten burned by it. I gotta check, but there's a stunt where uh, there's a grenade that goes off and or there's an explosion, and uh, Fushan's jacket catches on fire and he got this. Gig- of course, because he's a bad guy, he's got this giant long black duster he's wearing. <laughs> Hell yeah. But it, it it's Hendrickson, like they're not cutting, and it, you can see it's his face. He's got that uh the gel in his in his hair and down his neck to basically insulate and protect against fire touching him and not burning him. But it goes on for a long time. And I so, think Lance Hendrickson I that, actually got burned. I read that him. was an accident, and Hendrickson oh, really? just like went with he it. He went with it, right? Okay. And like everyone else like stops, but he like he keeps going and they improvise some line during it. Um, yeah. Because he yells yeah. at everybody. He's like, what are you waiting for? Get him. And then I'm like, yeah. I think all the actors are like, holy shit. Dude, was You're on fire, from- dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, man. But yeah, what he, he kind of saved it. So good for good for Lance. I, I, I love everything he brings in this. He really is. Oh, my God. He's villain. so fantastic. Like, well, and that's you can see why it's actually similar to like Broken Arrow. Yeah. Which like the villains um, doing so much more, and like actually Van Damme is bringing uh, the physicality at least. Um, I I, I think that's why Broken Arrow didn't work as well for me is because you you do have Travolta given the same level of energy as Hendrickson is in this, uh, but you don't have enough of the hero delivering on something else to counteract it or complement it. You're right. Are you there? Because I'm so, I'm so right. You're like, I'm done. Yeah. No, so when we did Speed, um, we talked about... Ah, oh, crap. I was forgetting it. Who's the director of Speed? Uh, uh, Jean Debont. Jean Debont. Yeah. He was talking about he's working with Keanu Reeves. He was working with him. Like these, like, these action movies are very, like, heightened. So your performance, like, it's okay to go to that place. And I feel like Christian Slater in Broken Arrow is playing it like very like too low key. He's not like going big enough for the action movie. And the blessing of like Van Damme or like a Schwarzenegger who like are limited as actors is like almost everything they do is at that. It's it's, like just going to that level because that's just who they are as an actor. And so it's why they work in these movies that like just him trying to act is already kind of matching like a good actor trying to go like really big. Yes. I, I, I agree with you. I a hundred percent agree with you. <laughs> I, um, it makes me want to, I can't tell if like us doing these is going to make me appreciate or, or dislike uh face off more because you have, two I really do want to see face off now. Yeah. Like, yeah. You have two people who are really going for it. And I, I wonder, like, what's that gonna, uh, uh, what's that gonna look like after I've like <laughs> seen these things back to back? Well, I was gonna be like, you know what? I take it back. I, I miss Christian Slater kind of grounding me again because <laughs> this is going like nonstop we, huge. We could. I, I, I don't want to cut too much into it, but I know that Face Off is uh, notoriously Nick Cage flew straight from the Con Air set to <laughs> to filming Face Off, and like, 
with no prep of like him and him and Travolta figuring out how they're going to get into each other's characters or anything like that. So I, um, I don't know. Memory serves. They both do a pretty good job of uh, <clears throat> the performances of being like, oh, like I see him playing the different guy now. Um, yeah, no, they, they do. But, I, I just, I, I, I it's going to be two really big performances. And so I'm just, yeah, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to, I can't wait to watch that one. Um, uh, what else do you have on this one? I, I mean, there, I think we both really enjoyed it, um, which is, oh, yeah, which is not I surprising. Really love this one, but yeah, yeah. And like, I'm, I'm growing to appreciate it more and more, honestly, as I watch it. Uh, there's a lot of like little scenes that are just a really fun scenes. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't, sometimes these movies can have like a 20 minute period where it's like, yeah, like, I don't really like, we're getting too much of this character or something, but this kind of is like, Maybe a little bit of Van Dam helping her look for her dad, like yeah. Maybe that kind of can slow down a tiny bit, but um, but that's so, still so early and kind of getting your footing in the movie still. That um, yeah, no, I I, <laughs> I really enjoy it, and it's really the villain performances that elevate it, um, make it super fun. <laughs> I agree. I hundred percent agree with you. I think um, <clears throat> I think. Even though it was his first uh, U.S. movie, I think Wu has a very good sensibility about why these movies work. Like, I think he understands the formula of, of like, again, he knows he just knows how to use a guy like Van Damme correctly. Um, yeah, and he knows how to shoot action. So, like, yeah, the action stuff is cool, but like, you know what's going on, and it still feels kinetic and exciting. And yeah, it's and he knows when to take like a downbeat in it to let things breathe. And yeah, it's just. I mean, it's just it, nice when you're watching someone who knows what they're doing. It is funny that they they gave him handlers effectively for for uh, directing this because I'd have to go back and double check his IMDb, but he I mean, he had a ten year career as a uh, right. Hong Kong guy before <laughs> yeah, he this. Delivered, like, he, like he didn't need it. Like he didn't need the help. <laughs> Which to your right. point, like this is not the guy. This guy made like one big movie. Or something like he's yeah he's like very well established um yeah well you know, again props to sam raimi for just hey let him letting john yeah Luka, being like, know, yeah this what guy knows what he's doing yeah so um it's also just like like hard-boiled is the year before and it's like he brings he brings a lot yeah, of such that. like a, a classic like it's just yeah like man yeah let that guy do what he wants like <laughs> well it's just, it's, the, it's the old thing of like if you hired him for all that experience and that skill, then just let him do what he's doing. Like, you know, he's got it. And actually, I, I think back, he was a director as far back as like the mid late seventies. So he's got like a 15 year career ahead of, ahead of yeah, filming even, this. Like he knows what he's doing. Like just leave him alone. He's got it. So. Anyway, yeah. I, it's uh, probably, it's probably, probably like close to 10 years of being like John Woo of developing yes. kind of his own tropes and style and language of stuff um so yeah it, it's it's like this guy's been doing this a long time he can deliver a movie yeah and i uh i'm here for it i'm here for it i i am i have this sneaking suspicion this will end up still be maybe being my favorite favorite john Woo movie we do um at least his i'll call it american maybe he's american, american movie. i really liked hard boil yeah, i think that was an awesome awesome movie but yeah that's like a, just a classic um 
All right. Well, what are we gonna watch next? Because I usually we we have oh, to man. text about it for yeah. a long time, and I said I'm gonna say fuck it. Let's just put ourselves on the spot. Let's pick something. We gotta because we we sort of started a John Woo run, but then the holidays. Uh, we, I was yeah. traveling, and then and then uh, for work, and then personally, so I did not make it easy on on us. So what? No, I mean I was out of pocket for <laughs> most of it too. So. Um, what what should we do next? Because we've discussed Blade Runner. <laughs> we discussed. <laughs> um we've discussed face off we've discussed um i don't know if uh, i'm ready for blade runner that's one no, i may want to do uh, we, we should we should do that one. um i would love to do that one but that's uh no it's so it's, much information out there it, it's too good of a movie i think we, we need to give it time uh, i i, I agree that. um like, that's what we got to be like six months from now we're doing blade runner so like <laughs> start getting can, your shit together <laughs> we can prep for it um i would say think, uh what else did we talk about um surviving the game surviving the game <laughs> <laughs> man i kind of feel like if I'm we do cuff. survive in the game jay probably needs to be with us for that one Ooh. i had a feeling that i thought that was something he was like he was super into that didn't we all watch it for a marathon one time i think so it seems like one i mean any of the movies from this era it seems like stuff we probably did i know we did time cop at a marathon one time <laughs> yes yes we did um remember those sweet splits probably face offs too <laughs> uh probably what are you what are you feeling? What do you which one would you like to do? I'm leaning face off to keep the John Woo going or okay. surviving the game to keep the uh the the hunting homeless people. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> Those feel like either would be a good kind of like counterpoint or uh it would be a good time to talk about what's going on, what they're doing compared to what we've been watching. Well, let's see. Let's see which ones we can find on streaming and maybe that'll help us just because I I I I'm pretty sure I own Face Off. I was hoping you were gonna say I, I, you own Surviving the Game. I, I do not. I did. I did do go on Hard Target. I do not think I. Uh, although that seems like one I could probably yeah pretty easily come up with uh, pretty cheap. Um, I feel like uh, uh, Ice Ice T is probably just giving copies of this away. Like maybe it's like at a Christmas, like a <laughs> Christmas gift bag. Why would you? That would off? be amazing if every year he just gave people. Copies of surviving the game. It's like I've known you for thirty years. You keep giving me the same goddamn DVD. All right, Face um, Off is it's on streaming. Amazon Prime. It's on Prime, uh, Paramount, or it's on Paramount Plus or MGM. Yeah. Okay, let's do that. Face Off. Face Off. Yeah, I'm looking. I've never really Plus. studied the poster of this very closely, but it is the weirdest fucking poster. Um, it's their two faces <laughs> side by side, and it looks like there's a common eye that's in the shadow of both of their faces. So, I uh, this is one I know I can at least get my wife to watch with me, and she will like semi enjoy it. So this is good. Like this will be like, nice. Perfect. It's a good. It's a good transitional into uh, maybe doing surviving the game after we do this. <laughs> oh, fun! Uh, um, this was a hard one for a Star Trek connection. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go for it. Um, because I think they shot in. Um, forget what I think. Um, there's something else we did that was similar. That was like, oh, they shot on location in like kind of the the south. That so it wasn't kind of the um, normal like Hollywood of the yeah, time. Yeah, you're, you're not getting the same the same. Uh... Uh, uh, same kind of people. So this one I yeah. could only find uh, Zoltan Elek was a makeup artist for Hard Target and Star Trek Nemesis. <laughs> I love it. Thank so, you, Zoltan. 
it took I had to like I went to like every single person in the cast and crew and like IMDB before I came up with that one. Was was Brimley never on like an episode or one of the movies? I just feel like he was a guy who would have slotted into that somewhere. And... I don't think so, but yeah, I don't I don't think so. Lance Hendrickson seems to like would have yeah. potentially, yeah. but no, I had um I think would have just because I was looking at the Wilford Brimley and like he was in like Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, yeah, um, like a couple years after this. So it's like right in that spot where like, oh man, I can't believe he didn't get on one of the Star Trek shows as a That's a yeah, that's a I, I'm I'm actually surprised for this quality of movie that we couldn't find somebody who was like an next generation person. Like it's like yeah, Ted especially Ra- for when it was made. Yeah, like like Ted Raimi wasn't on an like an episode or because he, he's got a cameo in this, so and he feels like somebody who he would somehow get worked into. I know. Now you're making me feel like I must have missed somebody, but. <laughs> well, it's just surprising because even in some of the crazier movies we've seen, it's like there's always like some actor that's. uh, uh, uh What do you call it? Right. Like got a got a role in, in something. I'm going to look up Ted, Ted Raimi real quick. Well, um, I know we're, we're right up on time here. I actually had one more question for you. It's unrelated. We always talk about it. We never record it, but. Uh, we're in the last week of the NFL. Um, <laughs> I think are the Rams. The Rams are still in the still have a chance to be. Oh, uh, they're in. The in. They're, they're, they're in the they're playoffs. In? Yeah, okay. they're in. Yeah. What is y'all's record? Uh, nine and seven right now. Because there's the chance y'all go to Detroit and basically it's a face-off of quarterbacks, right? Like yeah, nine and old... seven. Yeah, right now that's how it would shape up, I believe. That's going to be really, really cool if that if that um, works. Out. But yeah, yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of what it would be the most fun. Well, it's a uh, up to get somebody who works who, whose team is should have clinched yeah, a playoff you guys spot. They get some work to do. It's very frustrating that uh, we're 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 at a win and you're in, but we're it's against the Titans, and I have this horrible feeling they're putting Tannehill in. And I have this horrible feeling that it's gonna be a... like they're gonna surprise us, and we're just gonna get our ass kicked because I think it's yeah. it's a game time decision for Lawrence. Um, That's the other thing too. Your Jags are kind of banged up a little bit. Where yeah, we lost. Uh, I think Christian Kirk is coming back. I think he's he's okay, okay. and then. Um, yeah, we we just we've had injuries, and I think Lawrence Lawrence got hurt in like the middle of the season. I feel like he just hasn't played the same since since he got hurt. We we that's that's basically been around the time our our trajectory spiked downward. So I'm I'm very yeah because I'll be pissed off if yes, sir. if we lose the fucking Titans in the last game of the season, and then it bumps us on the playoffs because I think then then if we go if we go without winning against the titans we get into these weird statistical things that we, we we by default will not be at the top of the afc south because the colts and the texans are playing and then we get into this weird thing where like the steelers have to they can't beat the ravens which we shouldn't but yeah not too worried about that one but yeah we, we get into these weird <laughs> weird statistical issues of like how how like what are the probabilities we can actually make the playoffs i fucking hate that it doesn't feel like yeah. we've we've earned it if we're we're having to do that hey just win just win, baby. Um, yeah. But uh, Ted Ramey, I think the reason he was never on Star Trek, he was on Sequest. That's pretty close. So, yeah, <laughs> same thing. It's but underwater That's probably why, well, during all the, they were making like four different Star Trek shows at the same time in the 90s. Um, he was on Sequest. So that's probably why he never. 
get onto a Star Trek. He's like, wait, wait, you guys have Jonathan Brandis? They're like, yes, we do. All right, fuck you, Star Trek. <laughs> I'm coming over to Sequest. Was it DS- was it DSV or is it just Star uh, Sequest? Uh, Sequest was- DSV, I believe. Okay, because that that was like the second series of that. I watched like the first season of that. And I I do remember thinking like underwater sci-fi is going to have some limitations that are going to tap out here pretty quick. <laughs> like it's <laughs> like, you're not going to, you're not going to have a lot of, yeah, lot of it makes sense. That. It only ran for a, a few seasons because <laughs> yeah, you're to your point. Like at some point it's like, there's not that much shit going on <laughs> in the ocean. You can only talk to dolphins so many times <laughs> before <laughs> it becomes uh, a little played out. Nice. So, nice. all right. Um, okay. So, uh, face off is next, uh, and yes. <laughs> um, then after that we'll have, we'll have to quit because that'll be the 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 peak of what this podcast can can cover. Probably, yeah, so probably retire as podcasters. Uh, game. I I hope not. <laughs> but yeah. All right. I will catch you next week, my friend.